we will be considering three psalms. Uh, recall that I kind of switched this morning and this evening, preached in Second Samuel this morning, um, and then this evening I'll be in the psalms, Psalm 56, 57, and 142. I'm combining three psalms this evening, which might seem a little ambitious, but I think we'll make it. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, the Bible tells us, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, excuse me, <clears throat> let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. We often cite these two verses, for in them we find an extremely important connection in the Scriptures. The connection between prayer and peace. Between placing our concerns upon God and taking those concerns off of ourselves. And this is what we're going to consider this evening. Through three different psalms that David writes, in three different contexts within which is life, which all relate back to events that we considered when we were walking through 1 Samuel. You know, there are so many things in this life which we can't control. And often we find that those things which we can't control revolve around other people, right? Because we can't control other people. We can't control what people do. We can't control the decisions others make. We can't control how others treat us. It's not easy... When people choose to wrong us and there's nothing that we can do about it. It's not easy when people say terrible things about us that just aren't true. It's not easy when we suffer wrongs by authorities for no fault of our own. But, but more important than the fact that we can't control how others treat us. And that we can't control every circumstance as it comes up in our lives. Is two other facts. The first is this. That though we can't control how others treat us, we can always control how we respond to them. And second, though we can't control all of our circumstances, we can always trust that God is in control. Similar to last week, we're going to consider three psalms, begin by reading each of them together and briefly explaining each one. We'll then combine the principles that we find in these three Psalms, these three are our prayers, in fact, to form a cumulative lesson which we can apply to our own lives, Lord willing, this evening. So we're beginning in, in Psalm 56. You, you see there that it's Psalm 56, 57, and 142 that we'll be referencing this evening. Psalm 56 says this, uh, as we begin at least, to the chief musician upon Jonathalem Rechokim, Mictum of David, when the Philistines took him in Gath. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He, fighteth, he fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. This psalm is introduced as upon John... Now I've got to say it again. John Elem Rechokim, which literally means... Silent dove of distant places. It's likely either simply the title of the tune that was used to sing this psalm or perhaps the name of the psalm itself. Most likely it's the title of the tune. And the idea silent dove of distant places um, gives it a, maybe a wanderer's tune or perhaps a sailor's tune. And so this was likely a tune that people would have been somewhat familiar with. And David is saying, I wrote this song to be sung to this tune. And he also calls it a mictum, uh, which we are pretty sure means uh, something to the effect of golden or golden psalm, uh, a sacred psalm. There were only seven of these mictums that were written all by David and were, were perhaps his favorite or the, the most sacred of his psalms. It was written in consideration of the events of 1 Samuel 21 when David had fled from Israel for the first time, fleeing from Saul out of Israel into the land of the Philistines. And remember, he goes to Gath and he is brought before the king of Gath. This would be a time when David pretended to be insane, remember, so that the king thought he was useless, so that he wouldn't get in trouble and he wouldn't be used as collateral or barter bait or anything of the sort with the king of Gath. Uh, he was extremely fearful of this time, as we recall. And it is 
as he considers this time that he wrote this psalm. The psalm is divided into five main parts. In verse 1 and 2, what we read here, David gives his complaint. That men desire to swallow him up. Men desire to destroy him. Men fight against him. They oppress him daily. He continues in verse 3 and 4 and he says, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. In verses 3 and 4, we find David immediately, as he's considering his complaint against these men, these wicked people, he immediately turns his hope unto God with those beautiful words, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Words that have sustained many a man in the time of trouble. Words that have encouraged, that have uplifted. I will not fear what, what flesh can do unto me. David recognizes that men have the capacity to hurt him, but he is not going to fear these men. He trusts God, so he will not fear what man can do unto him, even though he recognizes that man can do something unto him. He will not allow the fear that is in his heart to overcome his faith in the living God. Part 3 of this psalm, in verses 5 and 6, he brings himself back into a place of, of complaint to God. He says, every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. David states that his enemies rest his words. In other words, he he says, my enemies are twisting my words. They're taking them out of context. They're just waiting to pounce on anything I say and turn it into evil. They're taking things that are said in good faith and they're making them evil. This is something that um, we see all over the place in this uh, time of year, right? With politics and uh, the, the debates. A man says something and he says it in context. And in context, it's a, it's a fine statement. There's nothing wrong with it. He says it in good conscience. He said it. It was right. But then the people take just a couple of words and they bring it out of context. And they, they make this huge hoopla about what he said and how it's named name the... the um, incendiary term, it's racist, it's sexist, it's thisist, it's thatist, it's, that, it's a thatism, it's a thisism. And next thing you know, they're up there, uh, even though they did nothing wrong and they're apologizing because if they don't apologize, then these incendiary remarks are just going to be continued to be drugged through the mud. And, and, and David's saying, this is what's happening to me. They're resting my words. They're, they're taking my words and they're twisting them. They're taking what I said and they're they're, they're confusing it. They're, they're, they're twisting it. He's complaining against people who are simply waiting to take his words and to twist them out of context. Against people who have no interest in the actual meaning of his words, but only in how they can use those words to destroy him. But David's complaint again gives way to hope in verses 7 through 9. He says, Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. We might summarize these verses by, God, by, by David simply saying, God knows. God knows what I said. God knows what they're trying to do. God knows that I'm, I'm standing in the integrity of my heart. God knows that they're doing wrong and they will suffer the consequences of their wrong. And he leaves it with the Lord. The psalm closes with a grateful song. In verses 10 through 13, David says this, In God will I praise His word. In the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto Thee. For Thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not Thou deliver my feet from falling? that I may walk before God in the light of the living. This song, in it, he, he makes this beautiful statement, Thou hast delivered my soul from death, wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling. What a fantastic statement of trust, that if God can deliver his soul from death, from hell, can God not also deliver us and our feet? from falling.
We hasten on to Psalm 57, another prayer of David. This psalm is labeled Altaskith, which literally means destroy not. We've seen another Altaskith. We saw one last week. It's a mictum, which means that just like uh, Psalm 56, it is one of those golden psalms. The psalm is written when David fled from Saul, the scriptures tell us, in the cave. Now, this is a reference either to the cave of, of Adullam in 1 Samuel 22, when, when David first gathered his men together and his family came unto him, or perhaps the cave of Engedi in 1 Samuel 24, when David found himself in the same cave as Saul. Could be either of those caves. The psalm is divided in, into, in half, into two halves, verses 1 through 6 being the first half. And in that, David gives his prayer and, and complaint. And then in verses 7 through 11, he praises God and he encourages himself in the Lord. I'm going to read the entire psalm together. To the chief musician, Altaskith, mictum of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. He shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. Selah. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. My soul is among lions and I lie even among them that are set on fire. Even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. Psalm 57, interestingly enough, begins with the exact same phrase that Psalm 56 begins with. Be merciful unto me, O God. Yet the tone of these two psalms is, is quite distinct. Two prayers unto God. The tone of Psalm 56, we might say, is fearful. He's saying, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And yet there's almost this idea that as he's praying and he's saying these things, he's trying to convince himself of it, right? He's trying to, to, to remind himself that he can trust the Lord. He's, he's wrestling with these fears. The tone of Psalm 57, however, is significantly more confident. He doesn't begin with his complaint, but rather with his confidence. Whereas David almost sounds like he's trying to convince himself to trust the Lord in Psalm 56. In Psalm 57, he's writing expressions of the trust that he has. If, if in Psalm 56, we could almost say that the theme of the psalm could rightly be verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. The theme of Psalm 57 could rightly be said to be verse 7. My heart is fixed, O God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. In Psalm 57, he says, I am determined. I will give praise. I will sing praises unto you. My heart is fixed. I know the direction I need to go. And that's kind of an encouraging thing in and of itself, right? Psalm 56, David is struggling with the fear. He's just fled Israel. Psalm 57, it's either the cave of Adullam or the cave of Engedi. Either way, he's grown a little in that time, right? This psalm shows far more confidence than the previous psalm. It shows that his trust is growing in the Lord. That he, he's, he's confident, more confident, that he can trust the Lord. Our third psalm that we consider this evening is Psalm 142. This psalm is a mass skill rather than a mictum like our last two. We talked about both mictums and maskils last week as well. The, the maskil is a, is a meditation for instruction. It's intended to be instructive. They are used to teach by example how to order our prayers in time of need and instruct us. This prayer is written, the scriptures tell us, in the cave. And once again, we don't know if this is the cave of Adullam in 1 Samuel 22 or the cave of Engedi in 1 Samuel 24. So we read. 
Maskell of David, a prayer when he was in the cave. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. This psalm is quite noticeably one where David is, without question, this is one that he wrote as he thought back on the cave. Whereas the other one, we might be able to consider him as being in the cave when, when these, these thoughts and prayers were coming to him. This one is without question thinking back. The entire psalm is in the past tense. The psalm is a prayer of faith, but the fact that it is in the past tense, it's a past tense prayer, indicates almost by default that God had gotten David through the trouble, right? We might liken this psalm to the man who tells a harrowing tale of danger and trouble from his past. There might still be uh, a great deal of, of suspense, but the impact of all of that suspense, while perhaps still very strong, is lessened by the fact that he's sitting here telling it to you. Which means, well, at least he didn't die, right? You know he didn't die because he's telling it to you. If you've ever watched one of those movies, that's a flashback. Well, you know one thing about the, the protagonist in the movie. You know he didn't die because he's the one sitting there telling you the story, right? And so it, it changes things a little bit in how you understand the story. While in grief, uh, and, and while the grief and concerns that, that David expressed in this prayer are potent, we know from the writing of the psalm that it's in the past tense that it's him thinking back on this event that God was faithful to deliver David unto the end. Now we've considered three psalms just briefly this evening. Three prayers of David to God in different times, difficult times in David's life. Each of these, however, shares a similar characteristic. In each of these times, David was in distress with enemies all around him, in each of these circumstances, his physical helps had failed him. And as he d describes it, his friends had abandoned him. In each of these circumstances, David fled to the Lord to keep him doing what he ought to do. We considered the theme of each of these psalms very briefly this evening. And for our application, I would like to elaborate upon these themes for our benefit and for our remembrance. So let's consider each of these psalms in turn. And each one is going to become a point of application for us in regard to God and His Word and how we ought to trust. So, theme number one, Psalm 56. When you are afraid, trust in God. When you are afraid, trust in God. That's what David said in Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. It's interesting to consider the dynamics of David's words here. He seems to reflect that his fear and his faith are intermingled with each other. It might rightly be said that fear and faith occupy David's mind and heart at the same time here. You know, as humans, we're prone to be fearful of the unknown, fearful of that which is seemingly insurmountable. We fear being incapable. We fear being alone. We fear failure. Perhaps we fear success. We fear what we don't know. We fear those things that, that we've never experienced. As we have spoken many times concerning various emotions that we as humans experience, jealousy, anger, many other human emotions, fear is an emotion that is given to us by God, right? And if fear is an emotion that is given unto us by God, then we, we must know that it can serve 
a positive, a virtuous, a proper purpose in our lives. A purpose that is not sinful. Fear can drive us to many good things, right? Fear can drive us to be properly careful. My wife and I uh, have spent years doing things such as hiking and rock climbing and kayaking. And for all of the, the things that we've done that have potential to be dangerous, we've kayaked in, in a sound and we've, we've um, climbed some, we, we've only rock, uh, rock climbed indoors, but we've, we've done some climbing of rocks um, without equipment that um, has been a little bit perhaps more than, than, than what, what we should have. But at each point, if we were tempted to push ourselves, there would come a point where our fear outweighed our curiosity or our determination. And we said, it's just not worth it. What, what I can see happening to myself if things go wrong is not worth the exhilaration if things go right. And so we, we stop. We hit a limit. That, that's, that's a good thing, that, that we recognize limits. Fear can drive us unto closer consideration of things. If I am creating a presentation, or, or me, I'm writing a sermon, or, or you're, you're um, preparing something, and you fear that people might not like it, or you fear that, that um, you, you, you might not be well prepared, now, while you don't want to allow that to go too far, if that fear brings you into a better state of preparation, deeper consideration, then in its proper place, that, that can be a good thing. One of the most blessed things that fear does unto us, however, is that fear can drive us to God. When fear drives us to a point of faith, it is bringing us nearer to the Lord. Now, the fear of the carnal man doesn't do this. The fear of the carnal man does not drive him to God. The fear of the carnal man drives him away from God. Sometimes away from people and away from opportunities as well. Carnal fear freezes us in inaction or drives us to ourselves and away from God's plan, away from God's blessing. But fear in a spiritual man doesn't drive him away from God. Fear drives him to God. It's a fear that drives him to rely upon God to deal with his circumstances Circumstances which would otherwise shut him down, make him in, incapable of functioning. It's a fear that compels him to rest in God when everything within himself would rather just give up or give in. It's a fear that leads us to trust that when we are afraid, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Notice David didn't say, I won't be afraid. <laughs> He said, I will trust in thee. To trust God in the absence of fear is not necessarily a difficult thing, is it? It can almost just be an exercise, a formality to trust God when all is well. Or formality to trust God when, when our confidence overshadows the events at hand. When all I have to do is live because everything is right, faith is pretty easy. But to trust God in the midst of our fears, to allow our fears to drive us to God, when darkness envelops you so that you cannot see, your capacity to discern or understand what's going on fails you, when there's no other place to turn for peace, this is the faith that conquers. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, John tells us that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But we can also rightly say that faith is the victory that overcomes our fears. So the question is, what does fear do to you? Does fear debilitate you? Does fear ensnare you? Does fear bring you to your knees? That, that's when you're, you're taking those fears and you're holding them to yourself. You're resting them upon your shoulders. Or does fear drive you to the throne of God so that you, when you feel those fears, which you're going to feel, you are going to get afraid. Is it going to drive you away from God, ensnare you, lock you into yourself, incapacitate you, or is it going to drive you to the throne of God? Is it going to lead you to trust, going to lead you, compelling your faith into action? 
To allow fear to drive you, to allow fear to ensnare you is to give in to the spirit of fear, which is not nor indeed can be of God. Fear is a natural thing in man. The spirit of fear, which is when the, those fears overcome us or control us, is not from God. For fear to drive us to Christ is to lead to overcoming victory. For fear to ensnare us or incapacitate us is to not be trusting in the Lord. Paul described it this way to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul was telling this to Timothy as he encouraged him to be bold in his ministry. There's no doubt that telling others of Christ, which is what he was telling Timothy to do here, telling others of Christ, standing for the things of the Lord, having a testimony for Christ is a scary thing. You know, I go door knocking in the summers, and there hasn't been a time where I've gone door knocking where when you start out, you just don't, you, you feel that fear of man, that I'm going to knock on this door and how are they going to respond to me? Are they going to yell at me? Are they going to slam the door in my face? Is it going to be a nice conversation? I could really use a nice conversation today instead of just yelling at me or slamming a door in my face or telling me, no, I don't need what you have to offer or, or, or you hand out the literature and they say, no, 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 I don't want any of that. And, and, and you have to deal with all of these things. And, and there's an every single time, there hasn't been a time yet where I haven't felt that fear. But the question is, what is that fear going to do? Is it going to turn into a spirit of fear whereby I don't do what I know I, I should do? Or is it going to drive me to trust the Lord to do for me what I, I'm afraid to do? Paul reminds Timothy that this spirit of fear, the fear that would drive us away from Christ, away from his design for us, away from what he would have us to do, away from obedience, this is not something that God has given to us. Much to the contrary, the spirit that God gives is a spirit of power, power, a capacity to do the will of God, love, love that compels us to minister unto others and to do what God would have us to do. And a sound mind, a disciplined mind, a mind that is not driven by our fears, driven by our emotions, a mind that is not incapacitated by those, those emotions that are within us, but rather it is under control. That's what God offers. And this is the difference. Paul is not saying that the mature Christian doesn't have fears. Like David and Gath, it is not about not being afraid, if you'll pardon the double negative. It's about how you respond when you are afraid. What time I am afraid. David didn't say, I don't ever have to be afraid. He said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Do you assume the spirit of fear? Do fears drive you? Do you assume the spirit of God? Does fear give way to power and of love and of a sound mind? So David would say in Psalm 56, 10 and 11, In God will I praise His word. In the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. The fear that he had when he said, What time I am afraid I will trust in thee, brought him to a place where he did not fear any longer. His fear drove him to God, and then God took away his fear. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? That his fear, which is a natural thing, drove him to God, and when he laid it in front of God, God took away that fear. David is able to praise, not because of where he is or because of what men want to do to him, but because his fear had caused him to flee to God, and in fleeing to God, he found the rest that God promises to deliver. He found power and love and of a sound mind. And notice how it is that David expresses it. He says, in God will I praise his word. He uses the name of Elohim here, God, capital G-O-D in our, in our King James, God, Elohim. That's the, the name for God as our judge or creator or as our authority. And then he says, in the Lord will I praise his word. Interesting, right? In God will I praise his word. 
in, in Elohim will I praise his word. And then the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the word Jehovah in our Bibles. In Jehovah, the, the merciful redeemer, the ever existent one, I'll praise his word. I'll praise my creator, authority, my, my um, judge, and I will praise my merciful redeemer and ever existent loving father. And they are one. David sees in our God the balance of justice and of mercy, of holiness and of love, so that regardless of the fears which would seek to overcome his heart and our hearts, we know that God will be consistent to himself. We sang it this evening, right? Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. And if God will be consistent to himself, well then if we flee to his word, what have we to fear? Jesus would express it this way in Matthew chapter 10 verse 28. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If you're going to fear, Jesus says, fear the Lord. And of course, this not being that kind of fear that would make us flee from him, but rather the reverence, the, the appropriate reverence for God that would bring us to that place of, of obedience. Don't be afraid of the wickedness and the craftiness and the plans of men. Don't be afraid of earthly circumstances or unknowns. Don't allow yourself to be crippled with fear so that you lay awake at night thinking about scenarios that aren't really there, right? Have you ever been there or have you known someone that was? They, they lay in bed and they're crippled with fear that something could happen or something might happen or wondering what would happen if. That's the spirit of fear. If we are crippled by our fear, then we're not fleeing to the Lord. Our fear has, has control over us. But Jesus says, if you're going to allow fear to compel action, then allow it to be the fear of the Lord and allow it to compel you unto obedience. Allow it to be a healthy and righteous fear of God. There are men and women, perhaps, in this room, maybe under the sound of my voice, with fears. You're at a crossroad regarding what you're going to do with those fears. The spirit of fear is desiring to cripple you bring you into emotional bondage. Wants to incapacitate you and make you useless for the Lord because you're just too afraid to do what God wants you to do. God says, hey, how about a ministry? How about a ministry opportunity? How about you, you, you get busy doing something? Maybe it's um, help uh, this ministry out or maybe it's uh, writing uh, encouraging cards to missionaries or maybe it's this or maybe it's that. And you, you say, well... I think that pastor will think it's a dumb idea, so I'm just not going to say it. I'm just not going to bring it up. The spirit of fear has just brought you into a place where you're not doing what perhaps the Lord would have you to do because you're afraid of what man might think. Because you're afraid that pastor may not like the idea or you're afraid that no one might want to do it. I think it's a bad idea. Are we compelled by a spirit of fear? See, it doesn't have to be this way. For what time you are afraid, David says, you can trust in God. So when you're afraid, you can trust in God. Psalm 57, when calamities come, fix your heart upon God. You know, there are times in our lives when the storms beat down. It is perhaps not the actual fears of what men could do with uh, with which we contend. It's not about what men can do unto me. Not, not maybe even the fears of what might happen, but rather the burden of that which we're already a part of. Maybe our fear is not what man could do or what man might do, but literally I'm in the midst of a, of a calamity. Things are happening and that's making me afraid. There are storms of life which beat upon us and often, more, more often than we'd, we'd like to admit, right? And like any storm, the storms of life are tempests. They cause damage. They obscure sight. They bring confusion. That's what storms do. They, they, they damage things. They confuse things. They, they uh, obscure things. When these storms come, just like when fears arise, we have choices to make. There are distinct choices pertaining our actions, our decisions, our confidence, our emotions. 
when the storms come that we as humans have to endure, emotional storms, spiritual storms, physical storms, the, the circumstances in our lives, the people that we interact with, whether they're literal or, or metaphorical, what do you do when storms come? Even, even, even in, a, in a physical sense, when a storm comes, well, you get inside, right? You close things up. The question is, where are you finding shelter? My wife and I have the distinct pleasure of living in Florida at the time of Hurricane Ivan. Ivan didn't get near as much publicity as Katrina, which would take place the next year, because Katrina hit New Orleans, and New Orleans happens to be built under sea level, <laughs> which is kind of a silly thing. But uh, it hit Pensacola, and it was almost exactly the same strength and ferocity as Hurricane Katrina when it hit Pensacola, Florida. My wife and I were in our second year of college at the time, and we spent a night in lockdown in huge concrete structures, away from windows, away from doors. We weathered the storm. It was, uh, I mean, it woke you up at night. We were under concrete, and, and we were in very secure buildings, but you just wake up hearing the, the winds, and, and, and it was an interesting, surreal experience in many ways. However, we weathered that storm. We came out on the other side. There was damage all around us, but we weren't damaged. Well, in our spiritual life, storms come. Emotionally, storms come. And when these storms come, it's our natural tendency to flee to safety somewhere, to find safety. But where is that safety? Is it in ourselves or is it in God? See, when, when David was going through these calamitous times... He was in a cave at the time, and that probably gave him some sort of a word picture or thought. He faced the storms of men's anger, and he fled, but he didn't flee to the refuge of his own strength. He didn't just pull himself up by his bootstraps, his own capabilities, his own understanding. The scriptures say in Psalm 57:1, In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. David hunkered down like all men do. He rode out the storm like all people do. But the distinction was that when he fled to a refuge, that refuge was his trust in God, the character of God, the word of God, the promises of God, the power of God. When the going get tough, they say, the tough get going, right? But spiritually speaking, when the going gets tough, the spiritual run to God for refuge. Just as fear can produce the blessed outcome of driving us unto the Lord, so too calamities can drive us to rest in the shadow of God's wing. That's the metaphor. It's a beautiful metaphor, is it not? The shadow of God's wing. A bird who covers her young chicks with her wings to protect them from the elements. They are, the, these chicks, they're small, they're weak, they're vulnerable, they cannot take care of themselves. But when the winds howl and when things are blowing and the rain is beating down, the mother takes her wing and she puts it over the baby birds. And the baby birds might hear a little something, but they don't feel it. They don't feel the winds, they don't feel the rain because mom is taking the burden of that calamity on herself. Mom is allowing the rain to beat down on her wings so that the, the, ch the chicks underneath don't have to deal with it, don't have to feel it, don't have to bear that burden. They're resting under the wings of one who is much larger and much stronger than they. Parents in here might understand this a little bit. Have you ever been in a situation where there was a thunderstorm and your children were scared? And every time there was that um, flash of lightning and that crack of thunder, your children ran into your arms. And while the storm was indeed frightful and also dangerous, the storm did indeed do something wonderful, did it not? It drove them to your arms. And you loved every minute of it. What a joyful thing it must be for our God that in those times of spiritual or physical calamity, His children run to Him to flee under the shadow of his wings so that he can bear the brunt of the storm that we know we can't bear. David would go on to say in verse 7, My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. 
I will sing and give praise. God was David's refuge. And so David could, rather than fixing his eyes on the storm, that would be the temptation, right? The calamities are coming. They're pouring down on you. But he says, I found refuge with the Lord. I'm resting under the shadow of his wings. So rather than having to focus on the calamity, on the storm as it beats down on him, he's able to fix his eyes on something different. Fix his heart on something different. That in the storms of life, as we trust the Lord, not fearing man, not fearing circumstances, we can replace the spirit of fear with a heart that is determined to give praise unto the Lord for his goodness even in the midst of circumstances we can say Lord you're dealing with the storm the storm is in your hands I'm resting under the shadow of thy wings and so my heart can be fixed on giving you praise that's our privilege as followers of Jesus Christ we joyfully rest in the shadow of God's wings praising God not only that he knows best but that he cares the most. He cares more than those that love you ever could. It mirrors what Isaiah tells the nation of Israel in Isaiah 26.3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. As our heart is fixed... As our mind is stayed on God, the scriptures tell us that because we trust in Him, we will find perfect peace. The calamities are outside, but we're under the shadow of God's wings and there's peace. We don't know what men will do unto me, but we will not fear what men can do unto me because I serve the true and living God. When you are afraid, trust in God. When calamities come, fix your heart upon God. When you are overwhelmed, remember God. The old adage goes, history is the best teacher. And indeed, often what we fail to learn from others, we will learn through experience, right? Whether it be in the workforce or as a parent or as a pastor, experience is invaluable. We learn as we live. And there are times where the good decisions we make are as much, if not more, a product of the lessons we've learned through living than they are of initial wisdom and understanding. You know, sometimes uh, as, as a young pastor, I can look at older pastors, and as I look at those older pastors, I say, well, why can't I be like him? He's got all of his ducks in a row, and he's got this ministry, and he's got all the right answers and everything, and then I remember that he's had 30 more years of ministry than I have. And maybe 30 years ago, he didn't have all of his ducks in a row. And maybe he didn't have all the right answers. But, but time and experience worked in him wisdom. Recall, as we looked just briefly at Psalm 142, we mentioned that this was a psalm that was written entirely in the past tense, right? It was a psalm looking back upon David's time in the cave. And we also said that it was a song, psalm that was meant to instruct to teach others. David asks the readers to learn something. And what he's asking them to do is to learn from his experience in the cave. To trust his testimony of what he learned in the cave. Yes, there were some very difficult times in David's life. Yes, he was abandoned by his friends and he was hated by his enemies. Yes, he had been overwhelmed in spirit, lost in the unknowns of his situation. He, there were times where he didn't know if he was going to live another day. That it, was, it was that uncertain as we recall his time in 1 Samuel. He didn't know if Saul would catch up to him the next day. He didn't know who would rat him out next. Is it going to be the Ziphites today? Is it going to be that wicked man Doeg? Who's going to wrap me out today? Who's going to sell me out to the, to the king this time? But David lived to write about it. And what he wrote is this. Psalm 142, 3. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. David knows God knows. And he wants you to know that God knows. He wants you to believe it too. When David was in the cave, shut up to help without escape, he made supplication unto the Lord. The Lord heard him 
And David, being now king, looking back on those events, can testify with utmost confidence that God delivered him from his troubles. Paul teaches us of the value of trials in our own lives. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, he says this, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is spread abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. When we are overwhelmed, when we feel like we are gasping for air, as our circumstances draw us deeper under the water of, of confusion and despair, take a few moments to remember past victories. Remember those times when there was no hope, but God still saw you through. Remember those times when there were, was no, no way of deliverance, but God delivered anyway. Hope in the God of hope, because God has always shown Himself faithful. Last month, we memorized a short but important verse at Legacy Baptist Church. That short but important verse was Psalm 37.25. Let's see if we can jog our memories a little bit and say it together. We'll say the reference in the verse. Don't need to say the reference again. Psalm 37.25. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. What's the message there? God is faithful. David said, I was young. Now I'm old. But now that I'm an old guy, you know what I can tell you through my years of being a young guy and an old guy? Is that I've never seen God forsake the righteous. I've never seen the seed of the righteous begging bread. I've never seen God abandon any of his children. God is faithful. And throughout David's days, he had never known God to fail. When his spirit is overwhelmed within him, then he remembers that God knows his path. If you have ever placed your trust in God in the midst of circumstances and found release from fear, if you have ever fled to the refuge of God's might and love, if you've ever been under the shadow of God's wings and found that in the midst of calamity you had peace, you rested and you could fix your heart to praise the Lord, then you have every reason to trust that the next time these circumstances come about, God can handle it again. And you can rest. And you can seek refuge in God. And you can, in times that you'd be tempted to fear, not fear what man can do unto you. If you've ever placed your trust in God in the midst of circumstances and found release from that fear, found rest for your souls when everything it seeks to overwhelm you, then you have every reason to begin learning of the legacy of the righteous, which is the legacy according to Romans 14, 17 of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you aren't experiencing that in the midst of your trials, then you need to know that you can. And indeed, you, you should. When you are afraid, trust in God. When calamities come, fix your heart upon God. When you are overwhelmed, remember what God's done. As we close, let me just go back to where we began. It is important to understand that all three of these psalms that, that we read this evening, these, these psalms of David, are prayers that when David, David struggled with his emotions, fear, the spirit of being overwhelmed, what did he do? He prayed. He prayed unto God. He prayed, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. He prayed, my heart is fixed Oh, Lord, my heart is fixed. I will sing praises unto thy name. He prayed to God. And so it is in our lives that the central action that reflects a heart of trust 
our fixation on God, our remembrance of who God is and what He has done in the past, is when we take our cares and we place them at God's feet in prayer. So we thus end where we began, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep, guard, your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that though we will have fears, our fears can drive us to you who will then take away our fears so that we can rightly say, I will not fear. How can I fear? We thank you that in the midst of trials and tribulations, when the storms of life are upon us, we can run to the rock that's higher than we are. We can rest under the shadow of your wings and find safety in the midst of storm. We thank you that when the world and the circumstances and, and the events of our lives would seek to overcome us, we can look back upon the circumstances of times past and, ha and remember your faithfulness. Oh God, through your Spirit, give us the grace to do so. Encourage our hearts with the reality that we need not be ever brought into a spirit of fear, incapacitated by what might be, what could be, what we fear might, might take place. May we rather rest under the shadow of your wings, trust in your purposes that you know our path. And thus may we be at peace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.